The following is a fourth-hand production. Hey, everybody. Welcome in and back uh, to Sad Times. Uh, It's been, gosh, I believe two weeks. uh, No, three weeks since our last one. um, Had a trip to Alaska and uh, there's been lots of travels and everything. But uh, anyway, welcome back in. For those of you who have never watched the show, just give you a little explanation. Um, it is called Sad Times. Uh, I bring on somebody every week, and we do talk to that person about what it's like when they're sad, experiences they've had, when they were sad, how they acted, how they reacted. I, I think it's really important that people talk more about this stuff. I know that I'm sad a lot of the time, and um, I don't know how I come off, and I also don't know how I'm affecting other people. So I think if we could all talk about when we were sad, we'll all feel a little less alone, and we'll maybe, maybe, just maybe, just be a bit more em- empathetic. So that's kind of the show. Uh, today I'm very excited about my guest. It is the great John Dooley. Hey, John. Hello. How are you doing, buddy? I'm doing good. Uh, how long have we known each other now? 18 and a half years-ish? 18 and a half. We met in the spring of 2001. 2001. Yeah. First time I met you, John, uh, I was in the green room, what we called the green room in the comm building, and I was checking the cast list for Gross Indecency, uh, the show that we were in together, and uh, my name was on there, and I was freaking out, and you came in, and you were hammered yeah and uh you gave me a hug and i was like who's that guy because your name was on the cast yeah. list, and that's how i met john dooley yeah um uh, i, I want to ask you before we get into it i want to ask you a serious question you and i are both really big cubs fans mm-hmm. uh we bonded over that over the years do you remember what was in 2015 when we were at the at, at the uh, goose island and we sat yeah. there and watched that fucking no hitter yeah that was cole <clears throat> hamels yeah, it was Cole Hamels yeah. against Jake Arrieta, and then after that, Arietta was lights out. Yeah. Gave up that home run to Ryan Howard. Anyway, uh, what is what has made you the saddest as a Cubs fan? Um, well, I mean, I think uh, two. Th- I mean, two thousand three was it. I mean, that was um, when I mean, people call it, like the Bartman game, or right. whatever. There were other things that went into it, but um, I, honest to goodness, uh, I. Uh, I didn't know what to do. My dad called me. You know, I had just stopped drinking recently. He called That's me. That's true, yeah. And he was like, you know, he's like, don't do anything stupid. Don't do anything <laughs> dumb. There's another game. There's a game seven. Don't do anything stupid. And then I just remember going outside. I called my buddy Pat. You've met Pat. Yeah, before. I know Pat. Yeah, sure. he was at the wedding, too. Yeah. And uh, I called Pat, and we were on the phone for 20 minutes. No joke. We were on the phone for 20. We didn't say anything. It was just 20 minutes. So like, yeah. Yeah, I don't know. You, I don't know. Yeah, that's the whole conversation. And you sent me a text either the next day or the day of Game Seven, saying when they were up three-one on the Marlins, I, you had told me, "Oh my God, we're going to do it." And you sent a text saying, "I'm sorry, I said that. I didn't yeah. mean it." I called every yeah. one of my closest Cub friends. You were one of them, and I left in Al Chepsky's too. I left yeah. a message on yeah. his machine that yeah. said, "I was singing. It's beginning to look a lot like Christmas," and I did it to like six different people. And uh, then I had to call them all back and say that I was sorry. Yeah. Thinking that if I did that, then somehow they'd win game seven. Yeah. Because now I apologize to the sports gods. Yeah. You know. Well, that's uh, what we call in the OCD land that I live in. 
that is called magical thinking. Yeah. And magical thinking is a hell of a thing. I do it every day, all day. But it's it's really can get a grip on you, especially things like sports. Yeah. Um, which are so ingrained in us from since we were kids. Which you grew up around. Chicago, is that right? Yeah, I grew up in Vernon Hills, Illinois, which is a town where uh, they built the mall first and the home second. Oh, the mall, the mall was first? Well, yes. you got to get the jobs in there, John. Right, yeah. that's, yeah. that's they, that, Claire's needs people working there. Exactly. Yeah. So, like, that was the, uh, that kind of gives you a good vibe of, like, what the town was. Yeah. There's no, like, downtown Vernon Hills. No, it's downtown's the, the middle of the mall, right? right. Yeah. yeah. That's it, yeah. Uh, so, you are the youngest of four, right? Yep. Okay. Yep. So you have two older brothers and a sister, right? Yeah, I've got, uh, yep, my brothers are twins, and they're four years older than me, and I have a sister who's two years older than me. Your uh, brothers look exactly alike. Yes. They are the epitome of identical twins. Yeah. Um, it, at your wedding, I was just like, yeah. they're, they're the same person. So that was pretty crazy. So uh, what were your parents like? Um, my parents got married very young. Uh, my Are they religious? Yes, they're very religious. Yeah. Um, my uh, mom was 16 and my dad was 19. Uh, when they got married? When they got married. Oh, wow. So my okay. mom was pregnant and my mom had twins at 16. My mom had, she probably loves the fact that I'm, I'm saying all these things. So I'm just giving yeah. out all the dates for her. Yeah. Um, it's great. She looks fantastic. She's very yeah. young. Yeah. <laughs> She's like, you know, uh, but no, my... Uh, my brothers, when she was 16, my sister, when she was 19, she had me when she was 21. So there was four kids by the time she was 21 years old. Wow. And yeah. uh, Jesus. And what was your dad doing for work? Uh, my dad worked at the post office. My dad worked the night shift at the post office, the big distribution center that was in Carroll Stream that moved. And some of them moved to Palatine. So there was, and then there was one by Triton College right there. Uh, that he worked in River Ooh, Grove for a while. Yeah. yeah. So 1978 to Go 2000. Buccaneers. Yeah. <laughs> 2003, he did. Oh um, wow, 25, 25, 25 years. years, and the first 15 were nights. He did nights for 15 years doing a flat mail sorter. So the job that everybody talks about, where Newman says, and the mail keeps coming, and it yeah. keeps coming. Yeah. You know, he was the guy hitting the buttons to put them to the different zip codes and make sure that, like, you know, everything got to where it was supposed to. And then he would load the trucks. I mean, he was just, you know, that's what he would do. He'd work 60 hours a week and. Um, he, you know, did it, you know, yeah. but it was a grind on him. I remember when I met your dad, he asked where I was from. I said, Montessori, Illinois. He sat there for a second. He said, 618. Yeah. Uh, because uh, 61856 is our zip code. Yeah. I was like, that's amazing. Yeah. 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 Um, now, did your, what did your dad do to like, you say he worked like 60 hours a week? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. He would do that quite a bit. So um, I, six days a week, he'd work, you know, geez. 10 hour days. And uh, What would he do to unwind? Uh, he would watch sports or he would work on the house. Um, he didn't have a ton. He had old friends from high school that he would hang out, but he wasn't a big like neighborhood friend guy. No. And yeah. uh, I, we talked about this a little bit earlier, but like he, he got sober when I was like two years old. Uh-huh. And um, I think because everybody in the neighborhood, you think about the neighborhood you live in, like, you know, all the guys getting together and shooting yeah. shit and, you know, drinking beers. Like, he didn't want to be around that. He was like, all right, I got to do this by, on my own. I got to make sure. So he kind of isolated himself a little bit. When you say on your own, did he do the 12-step? Yeah. He did. Yeah, okay. Yeah. Um, what what made him get sober? Well, my mom was going to leave him. My mom was going to take off. So the night I was born, man, I hope my parents aren't seeing this. 
But my the night I was born, my oh man. So uh, how do I word this? Well, I don't know. Uh, yeah, there were some things that took place. Okay. Uh, my my dad made some uh, you know bad decisions, and uh, that was like one of the things that like was the end of the road. It's funny when my dad tells the story. It's like if you hear it, you're like, oh, that's it. Yeah, that was it. He had that one last moment, and then he gets sober. But no, he went out for another year. And um, we were living with my grandparents at the time, and my mom was like, I, I can't do this anymore. Like, either you got to get your shit together or I'm out of here. And so he was like, all right. And they were about to let him go from the post office. We're like, you got to shoot two people to get fired from the post office. <laughs> you right. can't. Yeah. You get one. The, the union, like, helps you, you know, put yeah. you on probation for a little bit. You got to get the second person down, and then they fire you. Um, so he... Um, uh, when that happened, he told me the story of that recently about how his union rep essentially saved his job. And, oh, wow. um, and he decided to start going to meetings and get his sh stuff together. And, um, and then he put it together. But once he did, everything was very regimented. Like, you know, doing a 12 step program, uh, we'll get to me. Oh yeah. Later. We'll get to you, buddy. <laughs> but like, some people react different ways to going into it and yeah. some people take it and they find new spirituality and it's a very open experience for them and it's very positive. And then there's some people, cause there's a regimented way that you can go about it as well. And my dad, um, he was like, it was almost like he was trying to make up for lost time yeah. and it was like, you gotta follow the rules. You gotta do this. You gotta do that. Mm -hmm. You know, make sure. And it was just like, um, he was very angry and working the night shift you know, screwing with his sleep, doing all the, the work that he was doing. Little kids running around the house. Little kids running around. He's not a kid's guy. Yeah. He was just angry for my entire childhood. I mean, my entire childhood. My when you say angry, angry. Does, it, does it mean like he wasn't approachable or he was yelling? Or He was, yeah, he was not approachable. So it was like yeah. the regular stuff you think about when you got to get a form signed to, for school or whatever. Like you never, like you would never even cross my mind to take a permission slip to my dad. So like if, if he's at home, well, let's just say your mom's somewhere else. And he's at home. You would just wait until your mom got home. Yeah, and the way my brothers got to see a lot more of his alcoholism. So, um, what that means is, uh, when he would come home, my brothers would scatter. So if you talk to children of al of alcoholics, that's yeah. a common theme you'll hear. Because when he would come home, uh, they didn't know which dad was going to show up. What type of you know, my dad had been drinking. They didn't know who was there. Yeah. So my brothers, for, to the time, no joke, to the time my, my brothers were like 20, in their 20s, they would hear the door open and my dad home, they'd run into the room. And he'd been sober for And he'd been sober for like 15 years, years by yeah. the time. And it was just, and I picked it up from them. So whenever he did it, I just, you know, went into my room. And then that's where I didn't want to bother him. And then once he got off nights, he wanted to change. He just completely changed. He wanted to be my baseball coach and he wanted to do all these things, and he became a very active, and he was a fantastic dad. But a lot of that time, up until I was like 13, a lot of the stuff had already been done yeah. in my head. Like, wait, wait, I'm sorry. You mean done to you because of your relationship with him? So, like, done emotionally, do you mean? Emotionally, yeah. So, what do you mean by that? Like, um, be, uh, Just the fear. I just mean, the fear constant, of your dad. The constant fear that was there. And, what did? Uh, how were you punished? Um. I mean, we were, I mean, it wasn't like, we weren't No, you weren't beat or anything, or anything. Yeah. right. But I mean, we would get hit, I mean, we would smack pretty hard, or yeah. my dad was yelling constantly, my parents were fighting every single day. Yeah. Um, every day. Every day. I remember 
being that was a constant thing. I remember thinking when I was a kid, when I was nine years old, like, huh, what was the last day my parents didn't have an argument with? You had that thought when you were nine. Yeah. Yeah. Did you ever think that? Um, did you ever think that it was your fault that they were fighting? Um, you know, that's strange. I. <laughs> All right, this is gonna sound really weird. I think they. Um, oh man. They really were focused on their own problems growing up. Yeah. Well, yeah, because they were growing up, too. Yeah, they were growing up also. Now I look back, and now I kind of feel like a dick for, like, how I reacted to it when I was a teenager. I'm like, man, like, you remember me when that – well, you almost remember me when I was 19. I mean, could you imagine me being a a dad at 19? Fuck no. no. Yeah. Eh. So – Mike Cole says, boy, it's great to hear Dooley's voice. Oh, hell yeah, it That's is, good. isn't it? That's good. Hey, Mike Cole. Hey, Mike. And Parks and Rec 90 says, hello. Hello. Hey, I know you. Um, okay, so, uh, oh, shoot, what were you saying? Oh, uh, you knew, I knew you around 19. Yeah, uh, I'm not prepared. We're going to tell some stories about that in a minute. But, uh, yeah, so... I look. I if I had a kid when I was nineteen, or fathered a kid that was born when I was nineteen, be, that kid would be eighteen right now, yeah. which is insane, insane. Yeah. Because I can barely put my pants on in the morning, and I can't keep after a kid. Yeah. You know what I mean? I I just can't. You should have seen me trying to put up these light poles. It was just a mess. You you'll find a way though. Like that's the weird. Well, thing, yeah, because you, know? you I think yeah it's necessity. Like, yeah, it's like that, or there is it. no other choice. Right. right. Yeah. So your your parents fought a lot, um, but it was mainly based on your dad and, and finances and two ships passing in the night. Think about it. When one's where there's maybe some people watching us where they're in a relationship where one person works mainly during the day and one person works mainly at night mm-hmm. and communication breakdown happens all the time. Like, why didn't you pick up this person from practice or blah, blah, blah. Or why didn't you pick up the groceries? You said you were, we talked about it three days ago, the last time we saw each other, Yeah, you know, cause there are two ships passing in the night. So it was just a lot of like, so your mom Anger. was working days. Yeah, my mom was working during the day. Wow. Yeah. And so and she was essentially putting in the same amount of time during the week, like fifty to sixty hours. What did you? Who took care of you guys? So we were by the time I was like five, we were done with the babysitter thing. They shoved me in the kindergarten when I was four. That okay. was back in the day when you could do something like. Yeah, that. my sister went in at four. Because they, they special. They interviewed me and they were like, you know, what makes him different? And my dad's like, he knows all fifty states and capitals. <laughs> <laughs> I bet you that's true. You don't know any four-year-olds who know that. And they're like, all right, well, we'll put them in this low class. And it was like 10 kids. And they only took three of those kids out of the 10 of us and put us in first grade. And they put the rest in what was called a transitional first grade. And so I then went to first grade. And one of my first memories of being like really getting into the sadness was I got there the first day. I didn't know what to do. And I asked this kid, like, what are we supposed to do? And he said, you're supposed to get a worksheet. What are you, dumb or something? And this is a kid when I was, you know, and I'm like five years old at the time. And I was like, "Uh, I don't know. And I realized that I was like in the grade above. They were all working on stuff that they had learned in their kindergarten class, which was not going on in my kindergarten class. I vividly remember this. And I was from that moment, Kevin, I was behind. I had been behind in school. From kindergarten to the time I flipping graduated high school, I was always just a little bit behind. And do you think that was stemming from that one remark, or were you actually behind? I was, was actually it? behind. I should not have been put into kindergarten when I was four years but old. But you knew all the states and capitals. I did, right. And I, I don't even a, know all the fucking capitals. I was an idiot savant. And, um, yeah. I've had things with, we've linked on this. You yeah. Know, I have certain things that I obsessed on when I was younger. Yeah. And then I just memorized those items. and. 
sports. We're very similar in that yeah. way. You you've done it really well, like obscenely well with sports. Mm. Uh, I used to like read entertainment almanacs like for hours because yeah. I would just be sitting in my room and I'd feel all gloomy and I, I just wanted to, I, I, it was like nine and I was like, what's the point of all this shit? Ooh, a people almanac. Okay. You know, and so that's how I learned about the Oscars and all yeah. that stuff. You know, it was a way to escape into that. The tangible thing about facts yeah. is they're not going to move on you. You yeah. know what I mean? So, um, I think that you get that too. So, so you're at home and you're learning all these things. Like just earlier tonight, you mentioned Tom Pagnazzi. Yeah, uh, yeah, the the card, old Cardinal sketcher. I bet yeah. Mike Cole knows who that is. Oh, yeah. And uh, you remember things like that. But do you think that you did that as a way to kind of fight off like your own alienation, yeah. sadness, and things like that? So the big turning point for me in sports was Christmas 1986. My dad got a Super Bowl book that went through the entire Bears 1985 season. Yeah. And it had all the summaries of all the games, and then it showed all the teams in there, and it showed the whole. Uh, box scores and of all the games that year and then it showed like the league leaders i have it somewhere at my house that thing is like torn up i just dissected that thing and would based on the pictures in the book uh because i wasn't proficient enough to read a book that was meant for like people in their right. 20s yeah i would create stories based on the pictures that were there and i would create my own season and the box scores would help tell a story of what went on. So you create it with the actual numbers there with, that you yeah. could take out of there. Is that yeah. how you remember all those numbers from that season? Oh yeah. And so everything, I mean, so, and I actually, honestly, if we sat down and I, we've got more important things to talk about, but if we wanted to, yeah. I could tell you the result of every Bears game since 1984. I could tell you the order the schedule happened. I could tell you who won, who lost. Every year? Every single year. I could tell you every single NFL playoff game since 1957, every champion still. And this is even after being married and having kids. I beat it into my brain so much that it didn't go anywhere. Like, man, it's you, still there. You had to be sad as fuck, man. Yeah, I to was. To know that? I you was. know, like, Frank Gifford NFL times? Oh, yeah, yeah. Oh, sure. Yeah. Yeah, not just Kathy Lee kids. No, okay? no. He used to play for the Giants, right? New York football Giants. Yeah, 1956, they beat the Bears. Oh, uh, at Wrigley? Nope. In New York? Yan Yankee Stadium. Yankee Stadium, yeah. okay. So, uh, as much as <laughs> go down there. <laughs> there we go. So, do... Do you think that – did you feel a kindred uh, thing with your, your siblings or did you feel ostracized no, from them too? I was different. I remember growing up and telling people that uh, my, my brothers and my sister felt more like cousins than they did like a brother and a sister. I was kind of on my own. They weren't sports fanatics. Yeah. Um, I could tell from a young age that I was different than they were. Like, How'd that make I'm you feel then? Different. I mean I had the same interests that my – dad had which they didn't have which i think that kind of was that a way you could bond a little bit yes for me and my dad it yeah, was definitely yeah. but you know my dad was also a big sci-fi guy and so he could bond with that with my brothers yeah and so yeah. i had the sports with my dad my dad had the sci-fi like you know it was like we went to every star trek opener since the since wrath of khan like i was yeah. being dragged to wrath of khan when i was like fucking i don't know four years old whenever <laughs> that came out right, we're going to wrath of khan ah. <laughs> you know like the only four-year-old in the whole theater and so every Star Trek opening, every every new sci-fi movie, big one that came out, that was their thing with him. And then with me, it was it was sports. So when you were talking about your dad not being approachable, I, I had a similar thing with my dad. It wasn't so much angry, just kind of aloof. And not in a mean way or anything. I, I and I he's just scary, right? Yeah. He's a big guy. I was a little kid. Uh he he yelled a lot too. And I'm not saying this in a bad way. He was just scary and I didn't know how to approach him either. And the one way I could talk to him was was about baseball. And it was about um 
like uh, I remember asking him for batting gloves, and he said, "You know, Ernie Banks didn't have any batting gloves." <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he won that argument because yeah. that's – I was like, well, that's a good point, Dad. Yeah. Um, so <laughs> did you feel really sad that so that you couldn't talk to your dad about anything but maybe sports and, I guess, Star Trek? Yeah, um, a little bit. You know, that, that was kind of um, – but, you know, he would always want to give me life lessons in the car. So, like, he would want to share stuff with me. I was kind of afraid because of sometimes how he lashed back for me to share stuff with him flashback what do you mean like if you said something wrong yeah you know there was okay. just an angry and then like i said i and it, it a lot of it changed when he went off the night shift i don't even think he realized and my mom tells me this to this day that i don't think he realized the effect that that had on his body he just like, yeah it, some it, people can do it and some people can't yeah you know? and he just even if he was quote sleeping he just wasn't getting no. it right his body was off yeah and you you were raised in a pretty religious household yep so it was church every, every sunday I don't think I may have missed one Sunday the first 18 years of my life. Every Sunday. Every and Sunday. And what kind of and church? Every uh, high ho- holy holiday, every holy day. Yeah. So if that's you know Holy Thursday, Good Friday. Monday, Thursday, Good Friday. Yeah. Palm Sunday. Well, Palm yeah. Sunday is Sunday. Um, um. So yeah, we grew up. I grew up in the Catholic Church, but I grew up in the traditional wing of the Catholic Church. I call it the Church of Mel Gibson. Oh, like, like pre Vatican II type yeah, stuff. Yeah. So. Really. Yeah. So you like that, the Church of Mel Gibson. Yeah. Um, so it's uh, – <laughs> so – and I – it was pre um, – yeah, so the pre-changes that happened in the 60s. My grandfather was a very paranoid uh, man, great guy, but he didn't like the changes that came through when they said you're going to do the Mass now in English. And there was still a subset of people that wanted to, you know, go to the Mass in Latin. And so they found this little group in Lake Zurich was one of the few – they did a poll in 1984 and they asked, there was a Catholic like census that went out. I got to find this article, but I believe in 1984 in the entire United States, there was only 20,000 people going to Latin services. So when I was going there in 84, I was one of, one of 20,000, very, very, very small group. And just to, like now today, and this is less than it was in the world, there's over a billion Catholics. Now, I right. know we're just talking about U.S., but still. Right, but 20,000 traditional Catholics were in. No, what I'm States. saying is such a small. Oh, right. Small, yeah, yeah small. smallest percentage yeah. of that. Mm-hmm. And so we were kind of like ostracized as a group. So we had this small thing, and the, the church we went to wasn't even a part of the archdiocese. So it was like on its own thing. So Wait, I'm sorry. So did it not come down from the Pope? Uh, no, it was like we had an ordained priest. So he had been ordained through an order that was, I believe, I forget which society it was through. Uh, there's different societies where, so it was it yeah. was legit. Okay, <laughs> it was a legit operation. Uh, but we had a, a priest who was born in Ireland, Father Quinn, and he was our guy. He was a great priest, and it was there's I never talk about it. Some people talk about their religious background, and sometimes it comes out in a uh, negative way or did this thing. There were a lot of really positive aspects that came from being sure. raised in Community. that environment. Yep. Yep. Uh, there was a sense of. Uh, contemplativeness that took place that is a part of my faith to this day mm-hmm. because it is imagine singing and the outward emotion that you get from the church think of that and then just take all of that away and that was our church it was like if you just printed out the words on a, the page and then you just said the words with occasional chants because it's latin yeah um and that's what it was and it was a uh and the latin mass is a very beautiful mass but you would occasionally see, you know, I knew 
I didn't, this was not a theory, but there were people from like the Opus Dei orders and different er, 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 uh, er, areas that would come to our service as well. And my dad, my parents, they still go to the Latin service. Uh, My sister, Angela, and her husband, they still go to the Latin service as well. Same church? Uh, They were going to the one over in Lake Zurich, but now they go to one that's in Volo by the Auto Museum. Oh, I love Volo. uh, and, but my parents go to the one in the city, so they drive from Mundelein all the way down. So How long of a drive is that? It's like it, the really early Sunday morning. So that was oh, another okay. thing about my, my dad. My dad was like, we'd always go to the early service. And like, I used to wonder about it. And like, but it was essentially so that my dad could go to the early service, get out of the way, we can get home and watch the Ditka show. Um, <laughs> so the, the Mike Ditka show from like 1983 to 1992. Uh, okay, and then watch the, <laughs> the Bears. The Bears yeah. would play at noon. Yeah. Back then, that's how it used to be that's, in America. Yeah. <laughs> what would happen if you spoke in church when you weren't supposed to? Oh yeah, I mean, I would get smacked. Yeah. Yeah. And so you, and it was like, was it like mom, mom, dad, four kids just in a line? Yeah, I mean, they would separate us, but I mean, we we were extremely well behaved. They they got us in order from a very young age. Yeah. So whenever we went out, people, you know, my parents used to always, it was a sense of pride for them that, you know, we always behaved. We didn't tell them we were behaving because we were scared shitless. Yeah. Like we were scared of you guys because you were just, even your mom. Oh yeah. 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 Oh, okay. Right. I love my parents. I'm going to keep saying that. No, yeah, yeah. of course. They're fantastic. I know they, as you mentioned, they were learning at the time. Yeah. They were, let's see, let's say when you were 10, your mom was six years younger than me. That's just insane to me. Yeah. Um, that's that's crazy. So uh, we kind of have talked about it a little bit. So I guess I'm going to kind of flash forward a little bit. Yeah, sure. So we met in college, and I, I made the point that when I met you, it was a it was a Saturday afternoon, I think, maybe one, and uh, you came wandering into that green room, and I think you had a beverage in your hand, yeah, uh, and you were hammered, yeah, uh, and then obviously I was in that show with you with uh, Mike Cole with Nick. Uh, with uh, five other guys, Damon, five other, four other guys, and it was the best show I've still ever been in called Gross Indecency. Uh, my sister and my mom saw it twice, and my sister's like, what the hell was that? Uh, it's about Oscar Wilde. Anyway, we ended up, for the next couple of years, spending a shit ton of time together. We got drunk a lot. Uh, a quick story I'll, I'll tell is I had been gone for Thanksgiving. You basically kind of lived at Damon and I's house. Yeah. And I came back, and you're sitting on the couch, and I, I walk by you, and I just went in to pee, and I'm peeing, and I look over, and I see my pillowcases hanging over the over the shower. And I finished peeing, and I walked out, and I go, John, why is my pillowcase hanging over the shower? And you sat there, and you went, uh, yeah, I puked in your bed. <laughs> and I was like, oh, man. And I started to kind of get mad, and you go, hey, you want to get drunk? <laughs> and I was like... Yeah. <laughs> so we just got fucking hammered, right? That's yeah. kind of what we did. Yeah. When you have made reference to 12-step and stuff, yeah. and, and are you still active yeah. in that? Okay, yeah. so when did you – this is such a cliche question. Actually, let me start with this. Do you ever think you were drinking to escape something, or did you just get addicted to it? No, I, I was drinking to escape something. I hated who I was. I hated, I hated who I was. When I was in high school – uh, and I would wash my face. I had a really bad acne, mm-hmm. and so we had these mirrors that you could close, and I would close the mirrors so I wouldn't have to look at myself when I was washing my face in the morning. Really? Yeah. Um, I was very overweight as a kid, like from second grade till about sixth grade. 
Okay. I was one of the biggest kids in my school. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, that's not a good time to be the big kid is in those years. Yeah. And um, that kind of had, so I, and I just never socially, I just never put it together. I felt like there was, and Bill Kincaid and I used to talk about this. We used to, I used to joke about it with them. Like, I feel like there was a day of class that like I missed on like how to behave in social situations. Like I must've missed that day. Yeah. Like what the hell? Um, What's an example like where you would just be awkward? I don't, I, you know, conversations with women, like obviously, or, um, you know, try just always, I was always trying so hard to be something I wasn't that I never was. Mm -hmm. And theater gave me an outlet starting my junior year of high school. And I had done plays before that, but mm-hmm. theater, my junior year of high school gave me an, an outlet. Mm-hmm. And that kind of stemmed the tide a little bit, but I still was struggling a little bit. And then that summer when I drank for the first time, like really drank, drank, mm-hmm. uh, it was like the first thing where I was like, wow, I can finally be me. It was like the mask was finally off. I spent such a long period of time wearing the mask Mm-hmm. Uh, whenever I would go to school, I was trying to be someone that I wasn't. Um, and with alcohol, I just be the person that I just wanted to be. Was it that you, you felt your inhibitions were gone? I mean, that's obviously what happens with alcohol or you just felt more confident in yourself, more confident, more comfortable, a part of something. There was some, did you feel you could talk to people easier? Yeah, it yeah. wasn't an awkward thing. It wasn't the thing where, Oh, I, maybe I, when you drank, it's like you were at the day where you learned yeah. how to behave. Yeah. And you, you felt like, I can have a conversation with this person. Yeah. Was there a big relief in that? There was. And I remember I went through a bad breakup my senior year of high school. And my buddy, we were going to go to a party. Uh, it was some school-sanctioned party. And he mentions to me, and I wasn't a huge drinker yet at the time. But he mentioned to me, he goes, hey, you know, maybe we can have some beers before we go to the party. And I was like, oh, my God. That is the best idea like it hadn't computed in my head yet but that was the first moment i said this will solve it like okay we'll do this that will take care of the pain i will be fine once and, we and that this. became a refrain this will solve it yeah. like and often it was alcohol that would yeah. solve it oh yeah because you never um i never remember you doing anything else just really drinking yeah i dabbled in uh i could that's because i could never do the weed and beer thing i'd always throw up yeah. And then, uh, or then when I would just do weed, I would get really paranoid, which was kind of fun for other people, but not for me. <laughs> um, and then, and then, but then I got involved with like speed and I started, oh, I went I on a that. binge, a speed, like it was almost like a Brady Bunch or the a Michael J, the, Fo- the Michael J. Fox oh, uh, family, family ties. ties yeah. I had like a one week where I, where I was doing speed and, uh, I got a lot clean. Yeah. Uh, sure. I cleaned a lot and I watched a lot of the weather channel. Wait, uh, the Weather Channel. Smooth jazz when you're coming oh. down, when you're when you're kind of coming down. Oh. And on okay. the previous episode with yeah. Mike, yeah. he mentioned kind of the effect. It's not the same as cocaine because I did dabble in cocaine as well. Okay. Um, when you're coming down from those, from either coke or from speed, there's this like hollow feeling that comes in. And for a little bit, it's actually okay. Uh-huh. Like if you're having a couple smokes, you can put on some smooth jazz on the yeah. Weather Channel in the background. Yeah. Watch some Mr. Rogers. It's actually okay. Yeah. After that, it's not okay. It's very, very bad. It's very bad. And how long does that last? Oh, it can last hours. Yeah. It can last a long time. How how would you try to stem that? I would try to get to sleep. But that was the thing. I didn't have other... That was when I... drinking? I I wish, yes, that was an option as well. Yeah, yeah. But I didn't... um, 
I did I didn't have that's when I wished I was smoking weed because that would have yeah, helped that, cope with it. Yeah. But that really screwed me up and then I crashed and um and then that was it. And then like I learned my lesson from that. Which is weird that I could learn my lesson from that. From that but you and then still, not do it again, yeah. but then not learn my lessons from like drinking. Well, were you not having the consequences from drinking that the same type of consequences that yeah. that was producing? Yeah. Well, no, probably I was. Yeah. But you were just able to ignore them more? Yeah. yeah. I knew I had a problem when I was like 18. Really? My, my second year in Carbondale, I was aware that I had, like, I was like, yeah, this is a problem. But you, uh, did you think I should stop or you're just like, well, I just need to cut down a little bit. Like, I just gotta, like, get my. Weren't you saying to me earlier, like, uh, if I just do this today, yeah, that'll solve it. Yeah. If I just, if I just get through this today, if I just do this today, we'll just get through this today. We'll deal with everything tomorrow and that'll be it. That'll be good. Um, and then the problem is you wake up the next day and there's more problems following you than what was there the previous day. I remember, um, you know, I guess I bring up that when I was 18, 19 years old, because I remember it was the first time my second year of college was when I was searching through, you know, people do this. Like, this is not like a, um, if you do this, you have a drinking problem, but it was probably like a good indicator. Yeah. Like it was like, I was regularly searching through my crush couch cushions and other people's couch cushions so like a go and go to the liquor store and get a 40 on like a tuesday you know sure. like that was like uh you know someone should have been like hey maybe slow down a little bit but um i just kind of hit the accelerator did you um it just made me think of a cat on a roof there's a line uh and i'm gonna butcher it uh where brick says i drink until i feel that switch was that ever Anything was that that your experience, or was no. it more like you, you drank until you felt like yourself? So, drinking was always. Um, I like the idea of checking out. I like the idea of being like, "We're done here. We're done. We're we're done, I'm, and we're off. We're we're sailing." Yeah, it's the concept of yeah. sailing oh, we used to talk about. Yeah. We're gonna set sail. That's right. Buddy. <laughs> so yeah. like. We're going to set sail. Yeah. And we're not coming back here. We'll come back when we come back. Yeah. If we run into another island, we run into another island. The idea of just taking off and leaving all your worries behind. Yeah. That's what I started getting addicted to. And then that was a constant. And then I was constantly leaving shore. Yeah, you were, yeah, you were, uh, you were like Tom Hanks and Castaway there for a while. Yeah, yeah. I, I, so I remember when you, and I might be remembering this wrong. Uh, the, my junior year, so your senior year, this is when we really hung out a lot. Uh, when I lived with Damon, you kind of lived with us. One time you went out drinking, and then the next day, you I saw you again. You had bruises? Yeah. And you didn't remember where you got the bruises? You Well, here's what happened is you gave me six bucks. It was my birthday. I had I only spent, gave you six dollars? Um, you gave me six dollars with specific instructions. That was all you had. Oh, okay. <laughs> you gave me six bucks, and you said, Dooley... Go to the liquor store. Why don't we each get a Mad Dog 2020, Ooh. and we'll just sit on the outside, and we'll just drink and, you know. Outside you know. of our apartment? Because it, it was still my birthday, technically. And so I had drank the previous night to celebrate my birthday, but it was still my birthday, and I wanted to keep drinking. We had just gotten back from a rehearsal. I said, sure. So I got in my car. I drove to Pix. Yeah. And I got there, and I reached in my pocket, and my ID wasn't there. And I'm like, oh, my God, you've got to be kidding me. And so the guy there, of course, is like, you know, I can't sell you without an ID. So I walked down to the, meet these buddies that I knew from my freshman year. I said, guys, you're not going to believe this, but it's my birthday. And I said the wrong thing. And I forgot my ID. 
They said, oh, Dooley, it's your birthday. So they grabbed me. They took me. They said, you're not buying anything. And so then they, they grabbed my stuff. This is like pre, like right around when cell phones just started. Yeah, I didn't have a cell phone. So I didn't, I didn't have the best way to contact. And, uh, and then I was gone. And then one of the, my biggest memories that I remember is from that night. This was one of the, this was, and that was a night after that day, I said, I'm going to stop drinking, which wasn't the truth, but I was one of the first times I said it, um, that night. So the buddies I lived with, they had a guy who lived in the reserves, uh, all, they were all actually in the reserves and Uh they would report sometimes to do their testing or whatever the hell it was. I don't know how that works, but it was a Monday morning. So everything's quiet in Lewis Park, right? It's this apartment of three people. Yeah. And this guy comes down and he's decked out in his military garb, right? He's ripped. And my buddies all went to sleep after getting me a stripper for a lap dance at like, you know, 1230 in the morning. They give me, they're punching my arm. That's where the, the bruises came okay. from for my birthday. They go to bed at three. It's 5.30, and this is where my, what it was turning into is that I would still be drinking at, you know, up to 7, 8 o'clock. Yeah. And at 5.30, these guys come downstairs, and um, this one guy came downstairs, and he looked at me. And I had just been in their fridge, and I took out a box of wine and a bucket of fried chicken. <laughs> and I had a box of Franzia yeah. right on my leg, and I had the bucket of chicken right here. And he looks at me. This dude's ripped. Right, he's the guy. I don't know. He bus bench like three hundred pounds, right? And I got the fucking chicken right here. And I'm like looking at him, and he looked at me. I got crumbs all over my fucking, I got all over my, all over my shirt. And he looks at me. And he looked at me, Kevin. He looked at me like you're the biggest piece of shit I've seen in my life. And he said, he goes, I remember him saying something like, "Are you having fun?" I was like, "Oh yeah." Like, just, and I said like some like just having some chicken. <laughs> and, and he goes, "All right." Uh, See you later. And then he left. And I remember thinking, like, man, I'm a piece of shit. I put the chicken back. I put the, you know, I, it was by myself. I drank. Everybody had passed out. This I was in there their apartment. In their yeah. apartment. Mm-hmm. And so I take off. And that was one of the few times that I remember because I prided myself in drinking and not blacking out. And that was one of the times that I don't remember getting home. And I remember seeing Nate Kincaid out on the uh, dock at McLeod sure. and being like, I can't do this anymore. That was the first time that I saw that. Okay. Um, so I, I remember because your 21st birthday, you came to the green room. It was a school day. Yeah. And uh, people hung out in the green room between classes, and you came in at about 11 a.m., and you had a bag. It was an athletic bag. Yeah, and you had a bunch of beers in it. You yeah. were just drinking beer in the green room. I was with Goforth the night before. We went to Picks. And I said, he said, what are you going to do for your 21st birthday? I said, I'm going to do the most trash thing I can think of, and that's get a cube of red cube of red dog. Oh, it was red dog. Okay. A cube of red dog, a pack of Marlboro Reds, and I'm gonna put it on my credit card. And the lady looked at me when I did, like, "Why are you doing this?" I'm like, "It's just something I gotta do for my 21st." But I had just like thrown it up on my mind. So and then I, yeah. When you when that guy said that to you, you saw Nate, and you said, "I guess what type of shame were you feeling?" Uh, pretty high. Yeah. I was given a lot of money. This is another side thing. I was given a lot of money with the idea that the money would easily easily last me the year i was given i believe it was like five thousand dollars um and uh i was renting a room for like a hundred dollars a month at the time that woman's place that woman's place the psycho that place was that place was intense 
when I when Damon and I went over there one night when you were at our place, she had left a note for the robber. Yeah. And uh, we went in there, and of course ESPN was still on, blaring. Yeah. <laughs> Even though you were at our house. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And uh, and so I I had drank all that, and I wish I could say you know it would be <laughs> easier to spend it if I was doing drugs, but like it's tough to be. Carbondale does not cost a lot of money for nope. those of you that aren't aware. It's a town that it's, it's very cheap to live in. And I had spent it by mid-October. It took me a month and a half. You spent $5,000 yeah. in a month and a half? Yeah. And I was out, and I had no money. So that day, I remember going to the ATM. There's no money. I got bruises all over my body. I was supposed to meet someone for lunch. Lori had set up this meeting for me oh, with this actor yeah. to meet at lunch or whatever. I missed it. I, I slept over it. I go in, and then that's when I met Flippin', um, uh, what the heck? Um, James Shuffler? No, shut up. I don't know. When Flippin', uh, teacher, uh, play analysis. Uh, play, oh, David Rush. Not David Rush, the husband of... Oh, uh, Wayne. Wayne. Yeah. And, so this is uh, a, our uh, professor of playwriting's husband. Go ahead. No, 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 not Wayne. Uh, Flippin', uh, Ann Fletcher's husband. Oh, Blair Beasley. Blair Beasley. Yeah. Oh, God, okay. what the hell? So anyway, Blair, um, I go up to Blair that right after that. And, and he had been in 12-step for a while. Yeah, he had yeah. done that for a while. And I went up to Blair, and I and I was I went up to him. I said, I don't know how to say this, but like I think I might have a problem drinking. And he goes, yeah. <laughs> I was like, I haven't told you anything. Like, I didn't tell you what's going on. He's like, no, he's like, I had a hunch. He's like, well, we would remember he was the first class of the day that semester. Well, yeah. I would walk in like after, you know, it started and probably still smelled and he probably didn't think that was neat. But um, one time we went to that class, Damon and I did when you were sleeping on our couch and you skipped it. We came back. You were drinking. This is still in the morning. And you said, oh, uh, by the way, I used one of your toothbrushes. Oh. And we both went, well, which one? And you're like, I don't, I don't <laughs> remember. So we threw both our toothbrushes out. Sorry. I. <laughs> There's a lot of those moments. I mean, I, but that's another that whole other episode is really, really dumb stuff that I did. Yeah. I mean. So you you came up to him. You said, "I think I have a problem." He said, "Yeah." Yeah. And then he showed me a list of like, "Oh, you know, you can go to these meetings." And I was like, "Oh, that sounds good." And then I I didn't go. Okay. I just was like, "I'm gonna. I can do this by myself." So I had like a month, um, and uh, and then Thanksgiving, I came back and I started going right back at it again. And uh, and then things really accelerated in a very short amount of time. Mm -hmm. and, okay. and do, do you know why? why? Do you, were you feeling worse? Were you feeling shameful that you'd spent all that money? No, I think I just um, I had actually gotten some jobs. I was doing some jobs. Is this when you were delivering the papers at like three in the yeah, morning? Yeah, I was delivering the newspapers. Yeah, that was crazy. That and, was when uh, you came over one night before that, and you had the goal of drinking a six pack without removing a can from the rings, yeah. and you did it. I did. <laughs> yeah, it's great thing um but yeah we had to get you up at like three in the morning because you had yeah. to go and throw those papers or yeah. wrap them or whatever anyway so i i did that and um and then it just all came it just all came to a head i mean i had had physical withdrawals earlier that year um you mean like shaking shaking okay. uh labor day of 2002 which was probably should have been the first indicator like because mm -hmm. that was like i always had this list of stuff like well i mean if i got somewhere to sleep and like you know I'm okay, like, as long as I got some money. And I started shaking that day. I was driving around town. I'm like, what the hell is going on? I hadn't thought about the fact that I essentially had drank for 18 straight days. I mean, I had drank 
not like, oh, I drank, oh, and then I had a sandwich, and then I went out with some friends, and we watched a game, and then I started drinking the next day. I mean, I had been drinking for 18 straight days. And it started in Minnesota. It was a two-state affair. Yeah. It started in Minnesota for about six days and then went to Carbondale for about 12 days. I made a 14-hour drive during that period where I started hallucinating at the end of it. Um, and then I met, I walked in on David. Did I tell you about this? Oh, what are you He's doing, no, he's doing, he was yeah. doing pull-ups. Yeah. He's doing pull-ups with a bandana. Yeah. He's like pull-ups. Yeah. He's listening to like, I don't know, Curtis Mayfield or whatever yeah. that was. And he's like, he turns around, he looks at me, he goes, oh, well, hello. <laughs> I was like, uh, hi, what's going on? And then that started off another um, thing. Anyway, so getting to that. Anyways, all that stuff. How did it come to a head? What happened? I got a DUI. I had been drinking for about, I think it was like 14 straight hours. And I drank of, and it, I, this is a lot. So they give you those wheels that say how much you drank based on like what you blew or whatever. If you yeah. go to like one of those things. I'm not on the wheel. Like, that day is not on the wheel. You can't get it on the wheel. It's, it's off, the, off wheel. the wheel. Yeah, it's off the wheel. Okay. Um, I drank a fifth of gin and 12 bottles of beer. So that was, and that's, that's, a, that's something that happened. So that was what was, like, at the end. Like, at and, the end, that's how much I could take in. Now, it was over a long period of time. It's like it didn't in four hours. Yeah. But still, over a 14-hour span, I drove in a hailstorm and uh, rear-ended a guy at, like, the busiest intersection in town and... Uh, the guy came up to me. I was like, license and registration. And I was like, I literally had an empty bottle of gin in the passenger seat. It was like sitting there. I like looked at him. He's shining the light. And I'm like, you see that like there's an empty bottle of gin. Like just let's not do this. Just get me out of here. Like this is a waste Was there a time. relief at all? The second they clicked the cuffs, I was done. And I know that sounds like the weirdest fucking thing in the world. Like you're 22 years old. Like, yeah. how could you at 22, oh, you went through a DUI and then like you got, oh, how dramatic, like, and then you're just done with drinking. I can't, I can't explain it to anybody. I just knew the second I heard the click of the cups, a thought came through my head. I'm not, I'm not doing this anymore. No, actually, that wasn't the thought. The thought was, yeah, it's over. That was the thought, the actual words yeah. in my head. Yeah, it's over. Like, was there relief done. in thinking that? A little bit. But then you wonder if you can actually do it. I remember because so you got your DUI and then um, I remember a week or two later you were over and and you said I remember you saying to Damon do you think I can drink again because I can't imagine how hard that was that did you start going to twelve step immediately yeah 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 but not a ton though I would only go once or twice a week and they say like you should probably go, go every day it's like ninety and ninety right yeah and yeah. then what kind of ramped it up for me to kind of deal with the because there was a depression that came with it too. Like I went through a depression and dealt with kind of dealing with almost the death of drinking. And I was dealing with legal stuff at the time because I destroyed two cars. I destroyed a bunch of public property and I had blown pretty high. So I was going to be put into these different like classes or whatever. I was viewed as a high risk drinker and, um, I was worried. I was like, I don't know what I'm gonna what I'm gonna do. And I had to move to New York. I was gonna be in Ithaca when you were in Courtland. At the yeah, time. yeah. No, mm-hmm. maybe it was right before you got to Courtland. No, I I did oh, Courtland you were two summers. Okay. Yeah. So I went, and so I had to go to a new area and be around 25, like 20 year olds for a summer. A summer stock. A summer stock. Now work. anybody who has never done yeah. summer theater, it's just an orgy of drinking and fucking. Yeah. Yeah, and so I and I and I was like, how the hell am I gonna do this? 
So I started going to meetings there mm -hmm. and I would like not have my dinner. I would not have my lunch. I would use my dinner and my lunch to go to the meeting. And then I would live on like the donuts that were at the meeting and yeah. drink coffee and smoke cigarettes. And yeah. like, that was it. Like, you, when you say you dealt with the death of drinking, was that sad? Was that hard? Well, there was a little bit of relief, but then, um, I can't explain it. Like I was just, I couldn't do it anymore. There was like no, like there was such a heavy weight to my drinking. It was like I wearing a heavy coat. Like, so I talked about all the relief that drinking brought me. Yeah. But at the same time, it was like I was dragging, <laughs> it was like I was dragging a weight with me at the same time. I don't know if that makes sense. No, of course um, it does. Yeah. Like I was getting away from it, but I was still being, I still had the, chain on my foot you know and but and is that the moment you woke up and you were sober it was just like yeah crushing down on you i remember a couple years later i was on tour uh and it was just me and one other person and i was 22 at the time and uh she was uh, a religious person uh she did not drink and she didn't like books uh and it was uh i was very mean uh, i was an asshole uh, I teased her a lot, that type of stuff. I drank a lot on that tour. Uh, she did not. We still bonded because if you're on tour with one other person, you kind of look out for each other. And um, we, but I texted you one day and I said, it was something along the lines of, when did you know you had to stop drinking or something? What was it? And and you talked to me about how with alcohol, you never had any hope. Yeah. Uh, and that hit me really hard because I thought maybe I had a problem. And maybe I did. I don't know. I was drinking NyQuil at night just to go to sleep. Uh, so fucking lonely. And I was so mean to that person. And uh, we still talk every once in a while. But um, she <laughs> she was always sober, right, of course. Uh, and she had broken her neck in an accident. Totally fine. She could still walk and everything. But she would get pain every once in a while. So she'd take like a half a Vicodin. But since she never did any drugs or drank or anything, it would really, she'd get really loopy. Yeah. And one day I'm driving, you know, you do all the driving, drive about 10 hours a day driving. And she's got the, the Viking and she, her head is literally doing this because she's like out of it, you know. And she looks at me and she goes, I guess you're okay. And then <laughs> she passed out. <laughs> but uh, I felt a similar, like I, I'm in the same hotel rooms every night. Uh, uh, I'm gonna drink. I drank a lot of gin at that time, and then to go to sleep, I drink some Nyquil, because that—that's what quote knocked yeah. me out. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I think it was—it it was similar, and that's when I reached out to you, and you said that thing about hope, and that made a lot of sense to me. Yeah. And I thought that was really poignant. Yeah, I—I I, there was a definite like ability to like um, I don't know, uh, breathe a little easier, but the. The 12-step program helped out a lot, clean a lot of the stuff that we talked about from my childhood that was kind of driving a lot of the fear. Okay, so like your acceptance of yourself? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and like being able to be okay with me. And at some point in that, about I'd say about five years after getting sober, I remember I was sitting at a meeting and I was like, huh, I feel like this is me. Because they used to always talk about well, one thing they talk about going to those meetings, they talk about authenticity, like, you know, to be authentic. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. And I used to hear that word and be like, damn, that sounds great. Wouldn't that be great to be authentic? Because I wasn't. I was wearing that mask that I was talking about earlier. So I could put the mask on. And then I talked about alcohol giving me the ability to kind of take it off. 
But then something screwy happened as I got older when I got to 19, 20, 21. I learned how to drink with the mask on and the mask off and with a different mask. And with the, I could be whoever the hell you wanted me to be. Whatever you wanted me to be, I could be. Did that cause a different type of anxiety? Like now now you're drinking a lot, but you're around people and you're like, I need to be this John. Yeah. 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 I had different groups of friends. I could play the different role that you wanted me to be. And it was at that point that the two places that I felt the most comfortable, and it became got to the point where that was comfortable for me. Okay. That was my norm. Yeah. And the other norm was when I was on stage doing a show. Mm-hmm. So when I could be something else and play the role, mm-hmm. that was where my peace was. And anything else where you had to like see who actually who I was or like talk to me, that was like, oh shit, like I can't deal with it. Yeah. 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 So um and you since the the night that they uh, clicked, you have not had a drink, right? right. It was February 15, 2003, right? Yeah. yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. 16 years. Yeah. Wow. Um, that's man, you're lasting longer than my parents' marriage. Yeah. <laughs> Great job. <laughs> uh, so speaking of marriage, uh, you had mentioned earlier you got married. Yes. Uh, you got married in 2007, right? Yeah. Uh, and you had two kids. Yeah. Um, how long were you guys married? We were married from 2007 till we separated in August of 2013, and then we the divorce I think was final in. July of 14? I actually don't know the final divorce date. Because I always viewed the separation date. It was like, that was really that was day. Yeah. August 3rd of 13. August 3rd of 13. Yeah. That was 13 days before I got back from India. Oh, Crazy. Yeah. Huh. So, I talked to you a little bit after the separation and yeah. then through the divorce. Uh, but I know that you had other friends that you were talking to all the time. Yeah. Uh, and you, you leaned on them pretty hard. So, my question for you is, what... Oh, God. Um... What type of, what were you, did you feel responsible for the divorce? Did you feel angry? I'm yeah. sure you did. Yeah, I, w- I did feel responsible for the divorce. I wasn't, I wasn't the best dad that I could be. And what I mean by that is that, I mean, you know, I, I just wasn't the best. I was, I was a good dad. I'm very hard on myself, but. Um, no, you're a great dad. I, you know, I, it was. We weren't looking. That's how I felt at the time. So I'm talking like John, how he felt in 2013. Yeah. I look back on it now, and like honestly, um, we weren't right for each other. Like I can't explain. Like I used to wonder how could people get married and be with each other for a long time, have kids, and know that they weren't right for one another. Like you know. But you you thought it was the right move. I thought it was. I thought it was the right thing. Did you feel but, like a failure with the divorce? Yeah, especially as a Catholic, growing up as a Catholic, where divorce oh. is like a no-no, especially in the traditional wing of the yeah, church. The Mel, the Mel Gibson wing. Yeah, yeah, it was like a no-no, and I felt like a total failure. We had been raised that divorce is not an option. You just stick stick it you out. You stick it out. And um, some, my ex just had had it. She would had enough of what was she, just dealing with it. Uh, what do you mean by dealing with it? Um, you know, just, uh, I mean, I dealt with, um, I dealt with some, I had some bad depressive episodes and I also would, um, during these episodes, I would get like violent, not with her. So I never got violent with her, Sure. but she would be upstairs and she would hear like, uh, uh, plates being thrown on the floor. Uh, I flip it because of something stupid, like I missed a bill payment or something. 
and you were just so right. angry. I would yourself. lose my mind. Like yeah. this would happen like once every like six to twelve months. Like I would just um, I would lose my mind. And uh, so one time it happened. She says we got to go see a neurologist because she thought it was something wrong. Like something's got to be wrong. Like you can't just be reacting to these things. And so they they sent me to North. She we went to Northwestern and we did a couple um, tests or whatnot and. Um, uh, that was kind of the start of like the process of like going through like almost like a mental rehab of dealing with some things that were kind of going on in my head. And, um, and then after a while it was just, um, we started to become more distant. Yeah. And the last couple of years it was just very, very couple distant years. Wow. Yeah. Um, did you go on any medication for depression? Yeah, I went on, well, I went on Lamictal cause oh, I yeah. actually mm -hmm. had some, uh, simple partial seizures that I was dealing with. So I remember almost like that. a tick. Yeah. Uh, and then, um, Satilopram, which is a generic of, uh, another, um, brand name. I can't remember what it was. Was it of an SSRI? Yeah, I can't remember. Okay. Um, and I eventually, um, I'm no longer on those medications. I don't have, I don't know. I don't know what happened. I should probably go back. I don't have the tick like I used to have. I don't have, uh, and I've been on and off depress depression medications sure. for like the last six or seven years, and it's been mainly with the Cetilopram. Um, why, why do you go off it? Um, things get better, or yeah. I would lose a job and I didn't have insurance and I had no way to get yeah, it. Exactly. Um, and then I would get used to Isn't it. That and, fucked up. Oh, I would, I would find ways to cope also without it, and my depression's very seasonally uh, impacted. Yeah. Like, once it gets the fall, I have like a couple weeks where like I'm not okay, and so um, it's every driven fall? by that every fall. I used to wonder. My birthday is October 22nd. Yep. I used to wonder why I had so many bad memories around my birthday, and then like two years ago, I was like, oh shit, you're getting depressed every flipping. It's getting the days are getting shorter yeah. right around your birthday. That's why it's such a negative. It's memory almost for you. the same thing as as what you were saying about your dad working nights and like. Even if you're you're saying to your body, yeah, this is what's happening. I'm gonna yeah. sleep now. Your body's like, nope. Yeah. And when the days change like that, yeah, that's real. Like I I was just in Alaska and I was talking to some people who are there year round, and in December it's 22 hours of darkness Shit. a day, Oof. and the sun never even really comes out. It's light for a couple hours, but you don't see the sun. Yeah. And they didn't. This guy had done it for two years. He didn't know about the lamps. Yeah. So. Um, so you, you go on and off. So I, I've been on it uh, June 23rd, actually. It was 2000. It was the first time I ever went on meds. It was uh, Paxil. And uh, I went on and off it in the 2000s mainly because I had no insurance. You know, mm. uh, I had these genital warts. There it is. There it is. Yes. Genital warts. And um, I – oh, uh, Ald Aldera is the name of the cream. And you're supposed to put it on three nights a week when you go to sleep, and then you have to wash it off in the morning because it's an acid and it's eating away at the wart. Oh the problem was I was an actor. Yeah. I had no insurance. I was making 150 bucks a week, and it was 200 some dollars to fill it every time because I had no insurance. And so I would ration it, which you're not supposed to do because then it doesn't work because you have to do it repeatedly. And uh, that's why I got a little frustrated a moment ago because it just makes me insane that there are people – Excuse me. There are people who cannot get the proper medications just because maybe they don't have the right job or or whatever. And I don't mean to go yeah. off on a thing, but um, do you do you find that 
I don't feel shame anymore about having been on medication or being uh, currently on medication. Do you do you feel any shame about no, it? No, I don't. It's been and it's been a huge part of my. I was open about it with in my recovery too. When I would talk with people, I'd be like, "Yeah, I see a therapist." And on top of these meetings, I see a therapist. Yeah. I'm on a medication. I I dip. I have to do all these things to stay okay. It's like whatever it takes to make sure that like I'm all right, like that I'm decent. Not, and that's not even a guarantee that things are going to be great. Yeah. It just means that it's not going to be total shit. Yeah, you know? exactly. And uh, and recently, like, so I'm right now, currently, I'm not on a medication, okay. which is not the norm, I'd say. Um, and I don't know what happened this time. I don't know why. But I, and this is going to sound like I'm going to be like one of those n- nature people, like, mm-hmm. I took these vitamins and my life changed. Yeah. But, no, I found some, I did find some vitamin B vitamins <laughs> and, uh, I took these things and I, I take these supplements or whatever and I've been doing a lot, but this, that's what's helping me right now. Yeah. But I'm always aware, um, that I can always sink back into it and that if that happens, you know, I, I know who to contact to, you know, get my, do you still have a therapist? Uh, no, not currently. Yeah. I don't have one right now. I moved a couple my jobs moved a couple times. Yeah. They were by my jobs and I'm no longer working those areas. So. Sure. I don't have anybody currently, yeah. but I still go to the meetings and the meetings help a lot with like talking about issues and stuff. Like yeah. That. Oh yeah. And then I think we, before we came on, you were talking about how you'll, you'll hear other people's stories and that kind of oh, yeah. helps you in uh, all that I've read about 12 step, whether it be fiction or history or nonfiction about it. Um, it's amazing the, the power of hearing other people's stories and how that helps you one, understand your own story mm-hmm. to look at it totally differently. Um, I, I still remember going back to Blair. Uh, he passed away not long after we left college, but he had a, I remember his truck had a, a sticker on it that said, he does it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, good, good man, Blair. Um, I think we're, uh, yeah, we're out of time. That's quick. That was quick, even though it's, it's seriously 192 degrees yeah, in here. It's pretty It's warm. really fucking hot. Uh, this is my apartment, where, as you see, anybody who's watched the show before, thanks, Kelly. Uh, just kidding. Um, uh, we, we're in a new space. Uh, this is my apartment here in Chicago, and um, uh, thanks for watching, John. Yay. You're my dear friend. Thank, Thank you. you so much for Thank coming you. on. Thank you for being so open no and problem. honest. Um, and uh, you know, he came. Where'd you come from? Lake Zurich. Tonight? I was in Lake Zurich today. Oh and my god. I don't even know where that is. I'm, like, I'm just gonna Far go ahead and say. Burbs. Oh, West yeah. Burbs. Okay. Northwest. It's like. Oh, is that up by like Bur- uh, uh, Barrington? Or is it yeah, it yeah. is dead. Not too far yeah. from there. Yeah. yeah, that's where my grandparents used to live. Then they moved mm. to Cary. Oh. Yeah. Anyway, nobody wants to hear that. So, um, I have a we have a Facebook group. What's the link to that? Just uh, search uh, Sad Times. Okay. Facebook. Thank you, you Brent. Have a group and a page. Yes, a group. I didn't know. I didn't know those were different things. Okay, <laughs> so we have a group and a page. So if you search Sad Times on Facebook, you can go ahead and join there. We are uh, putting up old episodes on there. Um, there's going to be some other Sad Times stuff coming, that, not just this Twitch show. So kind of pay attention to that because we're going to do some other stuff with that. Uh, obviously, next Thursday is July 4th, so we're not going to be here because America. But uh, hopefully our next show will be uh, July the 11th. It might be a remote show, but I'll, I'll keep you updated on that. Thank you so much. Uh, and just remember, at least I try to remember, um, I'm not alone in the, the pain and shit that I feel sometimes, and, and neither is anybody else. And, and I hope that you took some solace in the show. And, John, thank you again so much for coming on and no sharing. No problem. Bye. Bye.
You've been listening to a fourth hand joint. <laughs>